0: Thank you for joining us. It's our mission to restore hope and make a positive difference in your life today. Remember to hit subscribe so you can be the first to know when we release new content. Let's go now to today's message. How many remember Pastor Jonathan came to our church in the old location? i want you to bless the men of god real good for coming to this stage coming to this state to drop a word into you come on put your hands together and bless pastor jonathan miller welcome on restoring hope clap your hands give jesus a shout of praise you're clapping good but you're not shouting good come on shout a little bit tonight you're in church on a Sunday night. You could have been anywhere, but this is double Sunday. You about to get a double dose. Come on, clap your hands, open your mouth, and give God a shout of praise. I want y'all to just remain standing for a moment. When we came in tonight, Pastor Aaron had told me, hey, you're at home. It's your house. Take as long as you want to preach. So I'm going to preach about five and a half hours tonight. You know he. <laughs> See, I can't say that here. Y'all take me serious and you'll work me. I know you will. But Pastor Christina, my beautiful wife, who's here with me, I honor her. So glad she's here with me, hanging out. Give her a big hand. When, when we were on the plane today, we talked a lot about being here tonight. And of course, I'm really excited about the word God has put in my heart. But we were really just kind of nosy. We wanted to see what God's been doing around here. And... uh When we pulled into the the property, I told my wife, I felt like Sheba must've felt when she told Solomon, the half wasn't told me. Because we've seen pictures online, your pastors have told us about everything. But to be able to see the grounds, the facility, and to see what God has done for you, I'm gonna have a praise break for you. Because this, I told pastors, so this isn't like a little blessing you know this a bit this big blessing and to those of you that have invested time money energy prayer praise worship god bless you for your investment and may god continue to strengthen you as you take this even to the next level but we rejoice because we think that your pastors are two of the greatest pastors two of the greatest people on planet earth for real Okay, y'all aren't doing good. You, you need to, there you go, there you go, there you go, there you go, there you go. And I wanna, I wanna say something before, like all preachers, I wanna say something before I say something. It's been said many times before, I'm sure, by many, many people, but I think it needs to be said in this setting and in this season. Not only does this church need your voice, not only does this nation need your voice, I believe the world needs what's in and on this man and this woman of God. And I prophesy right now that every mountain is going to move. Every valley will be lifted. Waters will be parted. Every door that God wants open will be opened. Every door he wants shut will be shut. I'm prophesying a new level, a new favor, a new glory is coming upon your pastors and whatever hits their house is going to hit your house. So you better clap. You better jump. You better shout. You better spin. You're in church on a Sunday night. You can get as crazy as you want to get. Now, I preached this morning in Orlando, got on a plane, I flew spirits, y'all pray for me. (laughs) And I didn't come to play around, I came to have church there is nothing and i will say it again nothing like a sunday night church service i know you burned the house down this morning but we resurrected it this afternoon so we can burn it down again i need you to give god 60 seconds of crazy radical sunday night revival pentecostal holy ghost filled holy ghost baptized holy ghost anointed give him some praise on this sunday night come on church lift your You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've come tonight with a word of my heart, and I'm gonna be preaching about what God is doing in the church globally, but by the time I get to this, I'm gonna talk about what God's doing in this church locally. And I believe before we leave this place tonight, who there are mantles. God, I feel the Holy Ghost already that are gonna fall on this house, fall on your life. I'm telling you, you'll never be the same again. Everybody said amen and amen. Thank you to one of the baddest bands on planet Earth. You all are awesome. So can I read some scripture to you tonight? I know some churches you go into, you read two verses and you lose the people, but I'm gonna, I know where I'm at tonight. I'm in a Bible church. And I want to read a few verses to you out of 1 Samuel chapter 4, then I'll be reading a few to you out of 1 Samuel chapter 5. And I will be reading quite a few verses as we start, but since you all come to church on Sunday night, you love the Bible. So I want to skip around and just highlight a few verses, and I'm actually using the amplified version, and I'm going to start in verse 2, First Samuel chapter 4, verse 2. It says, the Philistines assembled in battle formation to meet Israel. And when the battle was over, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men. Everyone remember that number, 4,000. It'll be important. Verse 3 says, when the people, the soldiers, came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh so that he may come among us and save us from the hands of our enemies. It's going to get good in here tonight. Verse five, so it happened as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp. All the people of Israel shouted with a great shout. You didn't bring your shout, go to the car and grab it and come back in. So loud was the shout that the earth resounded. And in verse six, when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean. Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. I like that. Just by the reason of the shout, the enemy knew the ark, I'm gonna preach tonight, I'm in trouble, was in the house. Verse seven, the Philistines were afraid and they said, uh, God has come into the camp. They said, "Woe! disaster has come to us for nothing like this. That's happened before. Verse 10, y'all still doing good? You're a word church. Come on, verse 10. So the Philistines fought Israel and they were defeated again and every man fled to his tent. But this time it was a great defeat for 30,000 soldiers of Israel died. So the first time they go against the Philistines, 4,000 die. They do it a second time with God, with the ark. They do it the right way. And not only do they lose, they lose thirty thousand men. Everybody shake your head. Come on, stay with the preacher. Verse 11 says, but the ark of God was taken and the two sons of Eli, who was the high priest, the judge of Israel, his two sons, Hopni and Phinehas were killed. Y'all still doing good? Verse 15 says, now Eli, who was 98 years old, his eyes were dim, so he could not see. Verse 16, he asked the messenger who told him, I have come from the battle line today. I have escaped the battle line. And Eli said, tell me, my son, how did things go? Stay with the preacher. I'm almost done. Verse 17, the messenger replied and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, there's been a great slaughter amongst the people. Your two sons, Hopni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been taken. Verse 18, when mention of the ark was made, not mention of his two sons, Hopni and Phinehas, but when mention of the ark was made, Eli falls off of his seat, breaks his neck, and dies. If I didn't give you enough scripture, can I give you four more verses? 1 Samuel, I'm setting some groundwork here. First Samuel chapter five, verse one through four. I'm moving quickly. The Philistines took the ark of God. This is the result of 1 Samuel four. They take the ark of God. They brought it to Ebenezer to Ashdod. Verse two, they took the ark of God and put it in the house of Dagon and set it beside the image of Dagon, their chief idol. And verse three says, when the people of Ashdod got up early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. Watch this. They took Dagon and returned him to his place. But verse four, when they got up early the next morning, behold, Dagon had again fallen on his face on the ground before the ark. But this time his head and both of his hands were lying cut off of the threshold and only the trunk was left on him. You better clap your hands and thank God for his word on this Sunday night. As I begin, I want to make a statement. And that statement is this. The enemy knows when the ark is in the house. Oh, it feels good on Sunday night. The enemy knows when the ark is in the house. When presence, power, and spirit is in a place, you can have bells and whistles and you can have incredible programs, but there is nothing that can substitute or take the place of the presence of God. You have beautiful lights. You have a beautiful property. You have talented and anointed musicians. You've got two of the greatest pastors and preachers in America and in the world today. But what makes this church special is not the bells and the whistles and the beautiful property. It's the fact that oil runs down these walls and oil runs from this altar. And the enemy knows, cancer knows, diabetes knows, poverty and lack knows, depression and suicidal thoughts know when the ark is in the house. As many of you know, back in the Old Testament, God chose to house his presence in this box called the Ark of the Covenant. That's how he chose to manifest himself. Today, of course, he chooses to house himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. And in case you didn't know, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You house the Holy Spirit. There is no ark. You are the ark. Don't you know you are the temple of the Holy Ghost? But as it was back then, so it is today. The enemy, cancer, diabetes, all these things that the enemy brings knows when the ark is in the house, when the ark is in the camp. And one of the ways, Pastor Aaron, the enemy knows the ark is in the house is through the shout of God's people. So no wonder going back two and a half years ago when the enemy tried to mask the world. No wonder the enemy has been working overtime to silence our shout and to oppress our praise. And if you think this is a new tactic, you've been sleeping. Because this goes back all the way to scriptures like Mark 10, when blind Bartimaeus lifted up his voice and said, Jesus, thou son of David. You see that as a petition, but it wasn't a petition. It was a petition wrapped in praise. Jesus, thou son of David, was the praise. Have mercy was the petition. And the crowd charged him to hold his peace. But he cried all the louder until something shifted, until something changed. So no wonder the enemy has tried to oppress your praise and silence your shout. But my Bible tells me that the dead praise not the Lord, neither them that go down in silence. Pastor Parsley says it like this, silence is the language of defeat. So, So no wonder the enemy's trying to oppose your praise. No wonder he's trying to silence your shout because your shout announces to the enemy that God is in the house, that God is in the king. Watch this. Because pastors, the Philistines didn't need to read a post on Instagram. They didn't need a feed on Facebook. They didn't need TikTok, all that stuff. They knew by the reason of the shout, That the ark was in the camp that god was in the house i came to tell you tonight next time cancer shows up at your front door say sorry god's already in this house next time sickness and infirmity poverty and lack depression shows up at your front door say sorry god's already in this house would you indulge the preacher get up on your feet 60 seconds and make an announcement to the forces of hell and to the powers of darkness. God is in this house. That means cancer has to go. Diabetes has to go. Depression has to go. I wish you'd open up your mouth and let the devil know God is in the house. The enemy's working harder than you're praising. I need you to use your voice to make an announcement to the devil that God has just entered your circumstance. Lift up your voice. Give a high five to three people and tell them God's in the house. All right, be seated. That was my introduction. That was my introduction. I want to get into the message. I want to get into the message. Shout, God is in the house. I have to take you. I'm going to preach long. He told me I could. To take you back to the beginning. In our story, the Israelites are engaged in battle again with their arch rivals, the Philistines. And the Philistines won the battle. 4,000 Israelites dead. So the elders of Israel convened. They get together. They said, let's have a conversation. And let's talk about what we could do better and different next time. To ensure a better, y'all better track with me. To ensure a better and different result. One of the elders, I don't know who he was. He had to be a wise elder. He raised his hand and said, hey, pick me over here. I got an idea. He said, let's go, King James says, fetch the ark. Let's bring the ark back. And let's try uh, what we've been doing on our own with the ark. The problem with this is the very fact that they were able to suggest using it on the second time means they were arrogant enough to think they could win without it on the first time. Y'all ain't shouting good. This is an epidemic amongst leadership in the modern day church that think they can do this thing called church without this thing right here called oil. I'm preaching so much better than you're shouting. They think they can do this thing called church without an ark. Can I dig on this? They think they can do it without preaching the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help them God. What do you mean by that? The blessing and the curse. Ask a question. How in the world are people supposed to know what they've been redeemed from if they don't know what they've been redeemed from? I'm tired of these slick rick preachers that think they can do this thing without preaching death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism of his death. Am I saying bad words in church? The message of sacrifice. The message of suffering. The message of surrender. They think they can do this thing called church without preaching the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit without preaching the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And why do they think they can do it without the ark? Because they're sexy enough. You don't need oil when you're sexy. They're trendy. They're relevant. They have more followers on their Instagram than you do. They're more popular than you are. Because they show more of their body than you do. They think they can hustle and do this thing called kingdom without oil. But I'm watching globally. People are getting a rude awakening. And they are realizing just as Israel realized that you can only go so far and do so much with slippity slides and Bobo the clown and foo-foo the dog. You can only go so far with the bells and whistles. And people are beginning to realize we got to get back to the basics of Bible preaching, foot stomping, Holy Ghost church services. Because we can't do nothing without the ark. We doing okay? So right before COVID, I heard from the highest level of leadership, I'm teaching for just a second, that even before COVID happened, this was being integrated into one of the most well-known church planning organizations of the world. If I mentioned the name, you'd know, but I'm not going to. They decided right before COVID, ain't it like God to mess their plans up that they were going to subtly and slowly begin to reintroduce the message of the Holy Spirit. Now I said, oh, that's wonderful. But when I found out why they were doing it, I said, that's terrible. Because the reason this particular organization is shifting their focus to talk about the Holy Spirit is because their marketing analysis department has looked at the progression of church history and has predicted that the Holy Ghost is gonna become popular again. The devil is. There's a reason why I've been preaching him for the last 25 years so faithfully without fail and without compromise. There's a reason this man and woman have been singing about him and preaching about him for so many years without fail and without compromise. I don't need a marketing analysis to tell me that the Holy Ghost is as relevant today as he ever has been. I don't need no analyst to tell me that he's as popular as he's ever been. I've been preaching him for too many years to have somebody tell me that he's coming back into style. So in some cases, you might think it's good, but in this case, it's not because they're not doing it out of a right heart. They're not doing it out of a repentant heart. And for those that aren't doing it out of the right heart, it's not going to work. Can I give you a Bible? Part of this story that used to be difficult to understand for me, the part that's easy As Israel goes against the Philistines without God, without the ark, they do it the wrong way. They're going to lose. I get that. 4,000 men die. I'm okay. But then they go up against the Philistines a second time without God or with God, with the ark. They do it the right way. And not only do they lose, they lose 26,000 more men. Y'all ain't helping me. So they lose more men with God doing it the right way. Uh, than they did without God doing it the right way. How, how is this possible? The only way this is possible is that God would have had to have temporarily dropped the hedge of protection. If God was there and they still lost, it would have been because he temporarily dropped the hedge of protection. Now, for those of you that love to over spiritualize and overthink everything, you're already prognosticating. Well, God had to let them suffer a small defeat to set them up for a greater victory. I mean, that's how the ark got into the temple of Dagon. Dagon fell, Dagon dead, so you know God had to let him suffer. But but y'all missed the scripture. God dropped temporarily the hedge because he was not as concerned with killing Dagon as he was in killing Eli. Who is Eli? The high priest, the judge of Israel, who had one job, protect the glory, And he failed. His daughter-in-law had a baby called Ichabod, which means the glory has left. I want you to know that Eli represents a generation of fathers that have failed in fathering, a generation of leaders that have failed in leading, a generation of men and women of God that can't rebuke, correct, or admonish their spiritual children, and they have brought Israel, as Eli did, under such a dispensation of grace that anything now is permitted. We can paint our nails and call ourselves a man Y'all don't want to help me tonight. We have gone under such a dispensation of glory that you can't check anybody anymore. And that is the problem with our society today. We have exchanged the word conviction for the word offense. When I grew up, people said, That convicts me. Smokers would bring their Marlboro Reds and say, That convicted me. People would drop their dope on the floor and say, That convicted me. Now we're offensive. You didn't see me. You didn't validate me. You didn't recognize me as this. You don't, I don't feel a safe space. There ain't a safe space in here. This is an incubating womb for revival and for miracles and for deliverance. We got to get back to the basics. Have and Phineas represented a generation that cannot be rebuked? They cannot be corrected because they've never had rules. They've never had regulations. They've never had requirements. They've never had consequences. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. They've never had accountability. They've never had authority. So whenever you put it on them, they feel like you're controlling them instead of trying to birth them into destiny. The devil is life. Be seated. Hopni and Phineas represent a generation that don't know how to honor. Just sit on this one for a minute. Because I've seen it amongst my own peers and colleagues. They'll stand on platforms built by men and women of God and hail them and regard them as giants of the faith, generals of a generation, and then they'll call them by their first name from their own pulpit. But they'll go into a back room, grab the check, and while they're grabbing the check, gossip is coming out of their mouth about the very man or woman of God they just preached for. Hopni and Phineas represent a generation that don't honor honor, and it's for the same reason. They've never had rules, regulations, requirements, consequences, accountability and authority. And the reason this honor thing is so important watch this is that you can only get out of someone in direct proportion to the measure of honor that you bestow. You should not want a position in this house. You should not seek a place. The place that you should seek is this. And when you humble yourself before God, he will exalt you before men. If you really want to get the oil that's on their life, you don't need to hang around them. You don't have to be on staff. All you got to do is honor them. Every day, just say a prayer of blessing. Every time you see them, give them a hug and say, I love you if nobody else does. Because when you honor this man and this woman, the oil that God has put in them will begin to fall on you. Can we take 30 seconds and honor them and let them know we love them? I mean, for real? This ain't no fake. This is, this is real out of your spirit, out of your heart. Thank this man of God. Thank this woman of God. I see her praying over the babies tonight. I see her weeping over the children. I see her praying. I see this man of God leading prophetic worship. Give God praise for them. Be seated. Be seated. So as it was then, it is today. God's not as interested in killing Dagon as he was in killing Eli. And so the church has gotten it wrong. We're going after social issues, cultural issues, moral issues, ethical issues. And God's trying to say, do you understand that I have to break Eli's neck before you're qualified to break Dagon's? This is the heart of God speaking. Get the spirit of compromise out of pulpits, off the platforms, out of the praise and worship teams. Get it out of the books, get it out of the products, get it out because there has to be a generation that is called out of darkness into his marvelous light, there has to be a generation of fire breathing men and women of God that are not afraid to preach the whole truth nothing but the truth, the blessing and the curse, the death, the burial the resurrection, the baptism I need to know if I'm in such a place tonight where you are a fire breathing man, a fire breathing woman you will not back down, you will not remain silent, I'm looking for somebody to get up on your feet, open your mouth and let hell know the ark is in this house the ark is in my house the ark is in the camp come on take 30 seconds and give him praise I mean for real fill this room with praise I'm almost done but give him some praise in the house I fear be seated I fear That the church as a whole, not this church, the church as a whole, is the only global brand, the only global organization that's beginning to change its language, its wording, its definitions in an attempt, watch this, to be relevant. Uh, You have my phone? This is an iPhone. If you don't have one, repent, be baptized, get saved. All right, Android people, I love you. Come on, let's be friends. Come on. (laughs) iPhone. I've had one for a long time. Let me tell you how long I've had an iPhone. Not long after getting my very first iPhone, Apple started using terminology before they released technology. iMessage is coming. I didn't know what one was, but I knew I wanted one. (laughs) I told my wife before I was joking with her, I said, I thought it was an accessory said, if my, eye, if my eye message comes in before church on Sunday, I'm going to wear it Sunday morning. <laughs> I didn't know what it was, but I knew, bless God, I wanted one and I had to have one. It is amazing how the Fortune 500 companies have figured something out the church is too slow to catch. They figured out that when they use words that we the consumer do not understand, it builds this thing called mystique and intrigue. My question is since when has the church lost her mystery? We're so much like the world that there's nothing to figure out about us. Since when has the church become afraid? I really am preaching better than you're shouting. To use words in church like tongues, rain, glory, presence. Fall out, fall down, run around, jump around, spin around, win? Did we become afraid? Can I tell you the truth? Just a little while ago, I was on an international leadership Zoom call. Ain't that special? Leaders from all over the world Africa, Asia, Australia. Pastor Aaron, the guy that was conducting the meeting is a guy that's just I'm going to be honest, he's a lot cooler than I am. Some of these guys are just way too cool for me. I'm 42 just trying to get by. This guy was so cool. Let me tell you how cool he was. He started out the meeting by saying, yo, word, man. I just felt like laying back and smiling. This is what he said before God. Yo. Yo. Word man, pastors, yo. i all twisted up. He said, why, why she, before God, this is what he said. My wife, no, she was, she saw, be careful, pastors, using too much church and ease. You know, churchy language, things that only people in church understand. Because, yo, word man, dog, y'all, if you do, Word man it might confuse people. Not now, understand I don't want to confuse nobody, I don't want to speak over anybody's head. But for him to insinuate that someone could come into church and hear church in ease is as ridiculous as me saying I'll be offended if I go to Italy and hear them speaking Italian. Dude, that's kind of why we go. It's a different culture. It's a different world. And there ain't no place like getting you some spaghetti and sauce like grandma's house. Come on, somebody. My wife and I pay thousands of dollars and use a lot of Delta points to get over there just to escape and go into another world. So, no, I don't want pro- to to promote speaking over people's heads and confusing them I just want to remind you don't forget that there's a hunger in the heart of the seeker or they wouldn't be here in the first place and maybe the reason they walk through this door is because they're tired of the deadhead religion they've been in for 30 years maybe they're looking for fire and may they find it here at Restoring Home this is what he said I'm done I promise I'm done almost. This is what he said. He said, be careful. This is, this, is, this is the truth. This is what leadership in the body of Christ is saying today. Be careful using words like fire. This is what he said. Pastor Amanda before God. And he used this example. You're going to love this. He said, because if you do, people come in, and they say fire, fire, fire. He said, they're going to get a visual image of what happened to Michael Jackson in the 80s when his hair caught on fire. He said that. And he looked into the screen and he goes, yo, word man, who wants that? And I shouted at the top of my lungs, yo, word man, I do. If it burns drugs out of somebody's body, I do if it burns adultery out of someone's heart i'll take all of it i can get if it burns sickness and infirmity and poverty and i'll take all of it that i can get i need you to take 30 seconds get up on your feet and let heaven know how bad you want the fire i mean get up on your feet and let heaven know how bad you want the fire. I'll take the fire nobody else wants. I'll take the fire no one else is willing to pay the price for. Clap your hands open your mouth and let heaven know how bad you want If I'm going to go through hell, I'm coming out with fire. If I'm going through controversy, I'm coming out with fire. I need you to take 30 seconds before I close this out and let heaven know we want fire. You see, you glory carriers, this is your mandate to never buckle your knee and never compromise. Never let your foot off the gas pedal. This is a Holy Ghost tongue-talking pew jumping aisle running fall out on your face until snot gets on the carpet church and we're not sorry for it we pay too much of a price to be quiet now you may not like it but it'll get rid of your cancer you may not like it but it'll get rid of his pornography problem you may not like it but it'll clean up her drug issue i need you to understand this is who you are don't ever change and don't ever compromise be seated. Can I give you the word for this house? Just a few more verses. Y'all okay? I know this will seem like a twist, but I'm talking about fire. And I have to say something prophetically in this house. In Zechariah chapter two, verse one through five, I want to read this to you very quickly. Zechariah is having a vision. Verse one says, I raised my eyes and I looked and I've been waiting for three months to come birth this. Behold a man with a measuring line in his hand. I said, where are you going? He said to me to measure Jerusalem, (laughs) to see what its width is, to see what its length is. Verse three, and there was an angel who talked with me going out to another angel who was coming out to meet him who said to him, run, everybody say run. Run and speak to this young man saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock. Verse five, watch this. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her and I'll be a glory within her. Something about to happen here. In verse five, talking about fire, God says, I will be a wall of fire around my people and I will be a glory within her. When you see the word wall mentioned in scripture, most commonly it's in reference to defense or to protection. So I'm going to say something here. If you don't have the fire, don't expect protection. Have you seen which churches survived and thrived in COVID? These churches that don't have the fire, these preachers that don't have the fire, they got girlfriends, but they ain't got no fire. Some of them got boyfriends, but they ain't got no fire. They got followers no fire they got charisma but no fire and there is a shift that is coming and a judgment that is very real from God that will separate the men from the boys the fakers from those who have really paid a price for oil if you don't have the fire you cannot expect protection but on the other side of that if you do have the fire then you can expect your family your finances, your marriage, and your health to be protected. If you don't have a fire, you don't have protection. Now, you may say, Pastor, what does this have to do with me? I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to grab this because about 15 seconds after you do, you're going to start screaming when you realize that you're in a church that's beautiful. You're in a church that's got beautiful property, In a church with great singing and great music, great license, microphone sounds great. It's great, but about, about three seconds from now, you're going to begin to realize that what separates this church from other churches is that there is a fire without and a glory within. And the reason that matters to you is because there's been some things spoken against you. There's been some things that are supposed to come against you, but they will not touch you. They will not harm you because there's a fire without and a glory within. This week in prayer, I heard people talking about your pastors. Haters have been hating. Jealous people have been jealous, but I came to make an announcement. Nothing they've said or done will come anywhere near them because there's a fire without and a glory within. In. They didn't realize they were playing with fire. They didn't realize they were touching glory. I came to tell your pastors tonight there is a hedge of protection around you, and it is the blood of Jesus. And what God has blessed, no man can curse. And I came to tell you, God is getting ready to breathe a second wind behind the sails of this man and this woman of God. And in this church, there's a fire without and a glory within. You better jump. You better spin. You better shout. Because there's some stuff that was supposed to happen to you that has been canceled. Because there's a fire without and a glory within up in this place tonight I feel something shifting I feel something breaking oh you better thank him you're in a church that has a fire without and a glory with somebody give God 30 seconds of crazy Sunday night Pentecostal Holy Ghost Pray. fire without and the glory within I watch I'm almost done y'all okay can you give me six minutes be seated be seated I I got a lot to tell you I'm almost done there's a fire without there's a glory within for all of you that just jumped, shout, and ran you about to jump shout, run all over again there's a fire without there's a glory within watch the preacher You've only given me six minutes, so I got to go quick. In The beginning of this chapter, y'all got to hear this. Zechariah comes up on a man that's walking around Jerusalem with a measuring tape. Zechariah comes up to him and he says, hey, where are you going and what are you going to go do? pulls out his measuring tape. Well, I'm going to Jerusalem measure how wide measure how long and while he's saying this to Zechariah an angel ran y'all gonna have to remember that word he's about to run again an angel ran up to him and said hey take that measuring tape and put it away do not measure Jerusalem. Because what God is going to do with it, it cannot be measured. I'm preaching myself drunk. It cannot be measured. And it cannot be limited. The prophetic implication is this. Whenever you begin to measure, because a measurement in and of itself is a limitation. A measurement says it starts here and it finishes there. It begins here and it ends there. Whenever you begin to measure what God can do, you immediately begin to reduce. Y'all with me? You limit what God can do. Now, I might have told a little bit of a fib earlier because I told you I took spirit here, but I really I really didn't come here on an airplane. I know it looked like I did, but it was just my body sitting next to that cute girl right there on the front row. But I didn't actually come here on an airplane. I know it's a little confusing. You're like, but you said you did and your wife was there, but I, What'd you do, Pastor? How did you get here? Did you take a boat? No, I'd have taken way too long. Did you drive? It's a 10-hour drive. If it's over 10 minutes, I'm not interested. So, Pastor John, if you didn't come on a plane, if you didn't come on a car, you didn't come on a boat, how'd you get here? You want to know how I got here? I ran. Y'all better catch me. I didn't come here on a plane, even though I felt spirit. I didn't come here on a plane. I didn't come in a car. By the spirit, I ran here, just like that angel in Zechariah ran. I ran to tell you put your doggone measuring tape away and stop trying to measure out and figure out what God is doing in this house and what God is doing in your life because there is no measure to it. There is no limit to it. The only measure you can put on it is the one you put on it. I came to tell you, don't you ever try to measure or limit what God can do because there's no measure to it. There is no limit to it. You better to put your measuring tape. About three months ago, I was with Jerry Ezi. You have to meet him, an incredible pastor in Abuja, Nigeria. They have like 100,000 members now, just a small work that God is starting to grow. And they have a slogan for their church, their international ministry. When I was praying about our time together, I felt I needed to speak this word over your house. And I text Pastor Jerry three weeks ago. That's how long I've been waiting to give this to you. And I asked him if we would have any plagiarism issues if I stole his phrase for tonight. He said, we can have it. This is the banner I want you to march under. What God cannot do does not exist It's Sunday night, so I got to say it a second time. What God cannot do does not exist. So whenever you hear something from your pastors and you get out your measuring tape, put it away and remember what God cannot do does not I came under an anointing tonight to tell you, don't you ever measure what he can do? Don't you ever limit what he can do? Because what God cannot do, does not exist next time you come in here and worship put your measuring tape away and take the limits off next time they preach something that stretches you in your capacity put the measuring tape away and take the limits off next time they reveal the next for this church and the vision is too big for you to comprehend put the measuring tape away and take the limits off next time you have an opportunity to clap a clap To shout a shout, to dance a dance, put your measuring tape away and take the limits off. As a matter of fact, why don't you get up right now on your feet and clap that clap, shout that shout, and put your measuring tape away. What God cannot do does not exist. Somebody give him praise in the house tonight. Oh, you can do better than that. Praise him until the limits come off. Praise him until your mindset shifts and changes. Praise him like you believe that what he cannot do does not exist. Praise him like you believe it. Everybody stand. Every time you lift your hand. You're not just worshiping and surrendering. You are pushing out space. I think I said this maybe to you before. Sometimes you don't remember what you say. But the lion is not the king of the jungle because its teeth are the sharpest, its claws are the longest. Not the king of the jungle because it's the biggest. There's many animals stronger, bigger, more ferocious. So what is it that makes the lion the king of the jungle? He's got something that no other animal has. He got a roar. And it don't matter that the elephant could crush the lion with one toenail when that big three-ton elephant hears the roar, picks up his trunk, takes his big old feet. The symbolism is this that if you ever wanna increase your territory, all you gotta do is increase your roar. See, 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 see. Some of you might not know what kind of church you're in. The reason you are walking in this building tonight, it's not just because of favor. It's not just because of great financial decisions and management, which, which is there, that's wonderful. But you gotta understand that the reason you're really in this building is because before some of you even knew who Pastor Aaron and Pastor Amanda Crab were, they were on their knees screaming for this. That's why it was prophesied you'd be North Keepers or whatever that, before you even got here. Because the shout of your past had already created space for your future. I told my church this morning, being a parent is hard and we're still trying to figure it out before they graduate. Come on, we're trying to figure it out. I mean, you got to be aware of their needs. You have to be aware of their friends, where they are. You got to look at their phone. Got to watch who they're texting and who's texting them. You got to be involved in their life. You got to be interested. I told my church this morning. As great a parenting as all that is, there's nothing as powerful as a parent. And when your kids are asleep at night, laying your hand on their bedroom door, blood of Jesus upon their mind, blood of Jesus upon their family. I've claimed territory for my children that they're not capable of claiming for themselves because I know how to roar. This is not a superficial emotional praise that's about to erupt. This is a demon-destroying, yoke-breaking, territory-inheriting call that's going to come out of your spirit. Because somebody has a husband that's at home tonight, and your shout needs to reach the condition in which he's in. You have children that you haven't talked to that are estranged, and your shout can reach across the state line. It can reach across several state lines. There are some of you that need a financial miracle even by tomorrow morning. Your shout can go grab something for you that you didn't even know God was planning on releasing. If you want to increase your territory, this is why at 42 I'm preaching louder than I preached when I was 17. I'll preach with more passion. I'll sweat through every pair of clothes I've got because I am convinced that I need more space. Some of you can't understand beyond the parameters of what God's already done for you. And you're already trying to say, "Oh, well, look what God's done. He's done this and he's done. you've already lost because you've got the measuring tape out. This ain't the end. This is the springboard. This ah, this is just the beginning. Every word you hear preach. put that measuring tape away. Every song you worship, put the measuring tape away. When I release you to shout in just a moment, you better put your measuring tape away and take the limits off of God and let your praise inhabit every area you need to overcome. Do you understand that cancer is about to leave this building? I'm telling you right now by the Spirit of God. People who have dealt with suicidal thoughts and depression that's plagued your mind. It is going to break as you begin to shout. I'm going to end where I began because that's what good preachers do. The enemy knows when the ark is in the house. The enemy knows when the ark is in the camp. And I need you right now to make an announcement to the enemy that your children are your camp. Your business is your camp. Your body is your house. Are you ready Judah when I count to three? Out of the depths of your spirit in increase your roar so you can increase your territory. One, two, three, come on Judah. We hope you enjoyed this word. If you would like to hear more messages like this one, please take a second and click the subscribe button. And for more information on our ministry, please visit us at rhctn.com.